0: Hey there, and welcome to our podcast. And thanks for joining us for this episode. Now, before we begin, we wanna remind you to please take a moment to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you enjoy this content, please don't hesitate to leave us a five-star review and share this podcast with your friends. We'd like to extend an invitation to you and your family to join us for worship this week at our church. Thanks again for joining us, and now enjoy the episode. Five, verse one through verse eleven. That's where we'll be today. I know it's a little cloudy outside and 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 rainy, a little dreary, but no reason to be dreary in here, right? I'm just making sure. Just making sure. I thought I saw a few clouds coming through the door. This will make sure we're not. We're like the weather, right? We're sunshine in here, right? We have the sun shining in here, S-O-N, all right? So, let's make sure we are alive today. We're, we're attending to the Lord, and so, uh, amen. Uh, Luke chapter 5, verse 1 through verse 11, we've been in a series, um, essentially, following Christ. And what, what we're getting at with this is that our theme is to be rooted in Christ... And, and, and Lord just sort of laid on my heart what better way to be rooted in him than to look at several moments in his personal ministry and, and, and learn from his personal ministry. And now, as I've said, this is not you know, looking at every single detail of his ministry, Just trying to be obedient to the Lord and what He would want me to bring to you all about Jesus' ministry each and every week. How long will this last? I don't know. I wish I could tell you. I was told a long time ago, Brother Josh, if you're going to do a series, make sure you tell me how long it's going to last. I wish I could. Uh, But I can tell you this, it's going to be Scripture. So who cares, right? So you should be excited about it. Uh, We'll be looking at the ministry of Jesus. I love this portion of Scripture. It's nothing new to you. Um, but it's here we get to this point of talking about a huge transition in some common fishermen. And so the title is not anything catchy or, or witty, it's just Fishing for Men. all right. And dear Christian, if you didn't know this already, um, that's who you're fishing for, is men. all right. Flesh and blood, those that have a soul, uh, your ministry is to them. That's the fish you're fishing for today. And you're going to see this played out uh, with Christ here and these uh, men here that we know would become apostles. But let's dive into the text. Verse 1. And it came to pass that as the people pressed upon him, then he's talking about Jesus, he's got, he's got several, many, you know, following him. Remember, he's now preaching the kingdom of heaven is at hand, right, repent, believe. If you actually back up in chapter 4, you see that in verse 43. I must preach the kingdom of God to other cities. And uh, so uh, we we find that's what he's doing. And so they pressed upon him, the the many people that were following him, to hear the word of the Lord. He stood by the lake of Gennesaret and saw two ships standing by the lake. um, But the fishermen were gone out of them and were washing their nets. So these boats were were um, pulled up to shore. All right. The fishermen are out of the boats. And he entered into one of the ships, which was Simon's, as we know him as Peter, and prayed him, or, you know, essentially, um, you know, asking him, petitioning him, right, um, that he would thrust out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people out of the ship. So you can imagine, you know, if you've ever been on the water and you're talking, that, that sound travels. Across the top of the water. And so you see this sort of a, you know, he's got a large group of people. And he's wanting this acoustical effect right for people to hear. So he thrusts out a little bit. And it says, he sat down and taught the people out of the ship. Now, when he had left speaking, he said to Simon. So now he's addressing Peter individually here. Launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a draught. In other words, let's let's fish again here. Let's cast the nets out and, and... See what we get, okay? And Simon answered, said to him, Master, we have toiled all the night and have taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. And when they had done this, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes and, they, uh, and their net break. And they, and they beckoned uh, under their, their partners. So you can imagine this, this frantic scramble, like, who can help us? which were in the other ship that they should come and help them. And they came and filled both the ships, both the boats. So they began to sink. And when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he was astonished and all that were with him at the draught of the fishes which they had taken. And so... Was also James and John, the sons of Zebedee, which were partners with Simon. And Jesus said unto Simon, Fear not, from henceforth thou shalt catch men. And when they had brought their ships to land, they forsook all. And you tell me, church, what did they do? Followed him. Followed him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for our time together this far, for our time of worship. Father, we thank you for your son. We thank you for the resurrection. We thank you, Father, uh, for his mercy and his grace. Lord, this morning I I pray um, that we would love you enough to follow you wherever you lead us. Wherever you would lead us at whatever phase in our life, whatever the finances look like, what our health looks like. When you you call us, I pray we trust you enough and love you enough to follow you. Be willing to forsake what needs to be forsaken and to follow you. I sense, Father, just even looking at my own life sometimes, that many of us are not following you. To follow you means to follow you fully, unconditionally. I pray tonight, if there's, this morning, if there's some here like that, I pray you break their heart. Help them to see the broken body, the, the cross, the empty tomb. Again, that they may follow Christ with a deep love. And help me to do the same. there be someone here that's lost. Father in heaven, I pray that they would see their sin as you reveal it to them, their unbelief. I pray they understand salvation is more than an intellectual belief, but it is a full surrender giving of their heart, giving of their life to Jesus. That's the moment we're born again. If there's someone here that's never had that moment in their life, they need to be saved. And I pray they would today. And I pray all this in the name of my Savior, Jesus Christ, and all of God's children said, Amen. Let me start out with just a sobering question. What are you really waking up for each morning? Maybe a better question is this. Who are you really waking up for each morning? Brother Josh, I I wake up and I wake up for my family. That's good, right? God give you your family. You should love your family. You should wake up for them, yeah? Hey, I wake up, I wake up to, and, 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 and excited to go to work and earn the money to support my family. That's good. That's great. But folks, there is someone a lot more worth waking up for than just the job and even the family. His name is Jesus. And I don't know what is the first things that pass through your mind when you wait. Well, you've been given a new day of life. You're still breathing. Who do you think about you? Or do you think about him? You know, oftentimes when we think about the apostles, think about their lives further in, right? These rock solid missionaries, these rock solid evangelists, these faith filled, you know, uh, these, these preachers, a strong faith. That's usually what we, think, what we think. When we think about them, that's where we go. But I want you to know these men had moments where they thought more about their occupation. They thought more about themselves. They thought just more about the day-to-day, the ins and outs of their to-do list and what they did. And this is where they were. They were Jews, right? And they they knew about Messiah. They, They knew about those prophecies, right? But you've got some guys, I think when they woke up, it's just time to fish again. It's just time to do the same old, same old again. But what you've, what you've witnessed here in this text is a transformation in their life where now they're not just waking up to a job. They're not waking up to a do this. They're not just waking up there with their family. They're waking up as an ambassador of the king of kings. They're waking up with a commission from their savior. That's what they're waking up for. Now, many times they had to be reminded of that. They had to be reminded who they were living for. Right? Right? And I just want to ask you if if you're a believer today, do you even how long does it take for you to get through your day before you think about Jesus? And not just Jesus, but your calling from Jesus. How long does it take? Does it take you have to get that cup of coffee? Do is it take you know actually heading out the door halfway down the road? Oh yeah, I'm I'm am I'm a child of God. I, I'm to, I'm to reach people today. When do you think about those things? I want you to understand, when they became fishers of men, that never stopped. When they went to bed, that's who they were. When they woke up, that's who they were. When they were at noon eating lunch, that's who they were. Following Jesus means my identity is now changed and forever will be what he's made it to be. And it's to be those that fish for men. Now, they were men that would fish for living fish, and of course that fish would soon die. But now they've had a transition where they're fishing for dead men so that they may go forward and live. Which one do you think is better to wake up for? What more exciting thing is to wake up for? Fish for living fish so that, so that they die, or fish for you know, dead men so that they may live? Which one's more exciting? Oh, come on. You forgot about your calling, evidently, this morning. What's more exciting to fish for something that is, that is dead, separated from God, so that they may go forth living in Christ? Which one's more exciting? Well, you would fool me this morning by the tone of your response. Folks, I'm, that is the problem of this 21st century church. It's not so exciting to fish for men anymore. We need to get back. To when we got saved. The reason you trusted Christ because someone was fishing for you. And folks, there's people that need need men, fishermen, fishing for men. And that's the transition that we see here. Following Jesus means that this is what happens to your life. Now, I just want to just take us through this story, all right, and um, let you see just three things um, that happened here. And uh, come to that pinnacle moment where they forsook all and followed him. So first of all, let's see Jesus. He's preaching. He, he's the master preacher. He's the preacher of preachers. All right. Um, and so first of all, we see this. Number one, we see Jesus is feeding the fish, or he's, he's 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 fishing for fish, if you will. So what I mean by that is this: if you look at the text, there's many people pressing him. They were pressing Him because they wanted what, church? They wanted to hear the Word of God. And so He's been feeding them. They've been responding to the Word. They wanted to hear the Word. And I'll tell you this, Jesus never, never pushed anyone away that wanted to hear the Word. Amen? Amen? And so you better be sure, He's going to make sure that everyone can hear the Word. Now, what was he preaching? Well, if you go back, as I mentioned in the introduction, chapter 4, verse 43, he's preaching about a kingdom, kingdom of heaven. Not the kingdom of the world, but the kingdom that he's bringing down to the world, a better kingdom. Let me just give you some description of that kingdom. It's a kingdom of grace, mercy, and peace. Why do you say that? Because it's the kingdom of God. He's bringing it down. It's the kingdom where we can become one with the Father again. What I mean by that is being righteous before him, putting our faith and trust in Jesus Receiving his righteousness, being right with God. That's the kingdom he's talking about. It's the kingdom where sin and death is defeated and Satan is vanquished. That's the kingdom he's talking about. That's an exciting kingdom. Would you agree? Would you agree? Please don't bring the, storm, the, the clouds in here and the rain. If, if, if you agree, let, the, let, let everybody know you agree. Amen? That, 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 that kingdom is exciting. A kingdom for the repented and the believing heart. The only way you can enter this kingdom is with repentance and a believing heart on Jesus. That's the kingdom he was preaching. That's the kingdom they were wanting to hear about. And so you'll find, Jesus, what happened? Because of this word, because of this truth, he wanted them to to hear this. So he comes by these two ships, these two boats and these would not be, when it's used the word ships, don't let your mind go to what you think of ships are today. These were small, real small-scale wooden boats. I was able to, I, if, I was, if I was really thinking, I would, have, I would have put a picture up here, the one that we saw there at um, Galilee, and just the remains they had, they had found would have been a, a fishing boat at that time. So very small scale. But he, he came to these boats, and um, he, he entered into one of them, and um, he asked Peter, I think he asked Peter, you know, can I, can I get in your boat? You know, I want to use your boat. And so he asked him, you're going to find, let's just, let's just sip, it's pull off the shore a little bit. He understood how sound worked, right? I mean, he's not just the Savior, he's the Creator, so he knows how to get his voice amplified for people to hear. Let me just pump the brakes here for just a second. Can I tell you something? Jesus has not changed his heart about wanting people to hear his words. He wanted his voice to be magnified at this moment, and he wants his voice to be magnified even today. And what you're going to find here is that he uses the lay of the land and the water and all of this to magnify his voice. But what you're going to find is his main uh, way of doing that after this point is sending out men to do this work. And folks, his method is still the same today. If you're a a born-again child of God, he has sent you to share the word. The word of a kingdom that God desires for all to be in, but they must come to Christ and receive him by faith. So this includes you. Faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Amen? Amen. Y'all know that passage, Hebrews eleven six. But without faith, it is impossible to please Him. Right? So uh, we must put our faith and trust in Jesus. How will anybody know if you don't tell them? Are you with me? You say that's an old message, but the old message isn't being followed through with very well. So we're going to keep preaching it. People need to know this truth. So Jesus stepped into the into Peter's boat. So I want you to see why would Pe- why would Jesus come and invade these men's lives is because because he had a message that they needed to live they, he, he had this gospel message that he would go eventually and fulfill on the cross and the resurrection and so he wanted all to hear him clearly you know what was happening did you miss it something exciting we listen We're talking about the creator, God. We're we're talking about Jesus, the pre-existing, eternal Jesus. We're talking about the Savior, right? All power in heaven and earth is given to him. That's the Savior we're talking about. And he says, Peter, I need to use your boat. Now, could have Jesus went and just created his boat? Sure, could have. But he didn't do that. He said, Peter, I need your boat. My boat. Yeah, I need your boat. Folks, do you see the privilege that Peter's been given? Now Peter didn't get it. Peter's going to be quick-tongued eventually. He's he's got a degree in that. As some people do do we we're just we're just quick, you know, and just to push God away and things like that. But we 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 find here that Peter has given an awesome opportunity that the very Messiah wants to step in his boat and use it to tell the people about who he is. Peter had used his boat to do to catch go on many fishing trips, but none of those trips, none of those opportunities, was anything like this opportunity. He had the Savior in his boat. What an awesome thing! What an aw- he, essentially. Peter's boat now became a platform for Jesus. What an awesome thing. His resources that he had, that Peter had, was now a platform for Jesus. Jesus uses the things you have and you as a platform to tell others about him. I want you to see the application here. Why would God give you the things you have? Now, God you know, allowed Peter to have this boat and the condition of the boat to, to use to support his family, yes. To feed his own belly, yes. But now, now, this boat, I mean, God knew exactly that this would be the boat that he would want to step into and share the truth of the gospel with these people. Let me ask you a question. How much of your resources are you withholding from God? You think you use your resources well by using them in all other, all other ways. But we're talking about the God of heaven is calling on you to say, hey, I need to use this, and I need to use this that you have for my glory and to broadcast my message. How dare we ever come to this point of saying no. I'm thankful for men and even women that have used, that allow God to use them as a platform to reach my soul. Amen? Folks, we're talking, and I'll, I'll say this, when Christ says, I want to use your boat, that's going to require sacrifice. No, we don't like that. I want you to understand the Christian life cannot be absent from sacrifice. If it's absent of sacrifice, it's not a Christian life. Okay? There'll be sometimes willing to endure pain, sometimes they'll be got to face uncertainty, and it will demand complete trust. Did Peter really, really know Jesus? No, but he's going to. So there was uncertainty. There was, there was, it just didn't make logical sense. I mean, a lot of those things, do they ever go through your mind when God said, I need to use your boat? Sure. That's not logical. I don't have time for that. It's just a waste of time. But listen, God knows what he's doing. Amen? And what he wants to do with you, he knows what he's doing. So we find Jesus is feeding the fish he's fishing for men and now we come to this point where he wants to use the fisherman's boat and so secondly as we come on down here we see this Jesus is calling the fishermen so as you look he gets done he sits down he, he, he teaches the people in verse three the very end of verse three come to verse four and when he had left speaking now he's going to the fishermen so he wasn't just saying, Peter, I need your boat to address these people. Now I'm going to address you. And, and here's the amazing thing, too, about this. That God never uses your boat just to reach others, but he's also reaching you, too. And I'm talking to you that are believers. When you've got Jesus in your boat, you're going you're to get changed, too, as believers. You may say, well, I received all the change I needed to you receive the one to make all the change that needs to be changed in your life. And you, you are saved from the penalty of sin. You're going to heaven, yes. But folks, your life, it needs to continually reform. It needs to continually change. And so when Jesus comes, when he calls on you as a believer and say, I need your boat, hey, just understand this. He's wanting to reach others, but he's also wanting to keep changing you. Amen. So it's a, it's a double-faceted thing that Jesus does when he says, I need your boat. And we see that played out right here. And so you can imagine Peter's like, okay, he's done. I can get this teacher out of my boat. And he says, okay, now I want you to go out into the deep. How many of you would have rolled your eyes? How many of you would say, oh, I've got this and that. I'm already late. Huh? How many of you have done that way to, the God, to God before? I don't have. Oh, you have been there. You have been there. I don't have time. But can I tell you what's happened? He goes from saying, Peter, I need to use your boat. Let me use your boat. Now he's going to strike at the heart of Peter, strike at the pride of Peter. And say, now, Peter, let me be your captain. The captain says where the boat goes. And so he says, let me use your boat to address here. But he says, Peter, I want you to take this boat out there. Now Jesus is transitioning. He's becoming the captain of his boat. Do you see that? So he's striking at the heart of Peter. Let me be your captain. Now, you see, what's going to happen is this. Hey, he's talking to a master fisherman. Peter's not a rookie, right? Even though they didn't catch anything, that doesn't mean he's a novice. That just means they're not biting, right? John is just not there. We talk about all fishing every Sunday, right? They're just not biting. Water's too cold or too hot, whatever. But we find here he's talking to a master fisherman. And notice this request. And this is very, very important that you grasp this, especially uh, in that culture. Notice what Jesus says. Launch out into the deep and let down your net. Now, when he found the boats, they were out of the boats. They were washing and mending their nets, what they were doing. And this was during the daytime. Now, it was known, you'll find, it was known at Galilee that you fished of a night. That was the most productive time you fished, you fished later on. This was during the day. They had their boats brought up to shore. They were washing. They were doing work. So, essentially, for, for these guys, this was not a time uh, to uh, just lollygag right, around or um, to... Um, you know, no recreation right now. This is, we've got to get our nets ready. We've got to wash them, get it ready to go back out and fish. And so it's a well-known fact that they would catch it in shallow water, right? Not in the daytime, in deep water. But what did Jesus ask them to do? It's daytime, and I want you to go out into the deep water. Now, where would your mind go as a master fisherman in Galilee? Well, this guy's nuts. It's a waste of my time. He doesn't know what he's talking about. Go out into the deep, look at the sun where it is, and see if we're gonna catch anything. He's foolish. Now, you you may never say God is foolish, but according to your response of yes and no, you're actually saying that. God, you're being foolish in what you're asking me to do. Do you realize what that's that's gonna cost? This phase of my life, what my health is, etc. Is God ever foolish? He's the master. If he's called you to do something, he'll provide all that needs to be done. Maybe this illness you're going through is exactly the platform he needs, like Peter's boat, to reach the people that needs to be reached at that very moment. So don't don't question the omniscient, omnipotent God of how he wants to use your boat and use you. Because he knows the platform he needs to reach the world. And that means you. So, Jesus, he's calling for overtime labor in the most less productive time of the day. What would you do? How would you answer Jesus? And I'll say this it did not make logical sense. But I will say, let let me say this as well. Jesus gets glory by doing the impossible, he loves bringing to your attention what doesn't seem logical. We don't serve a logical God in that sense. We don't, deserve, we don't serve a God, maybe how the God you think you serve, but we don't serve a God that's wrapped up in a box. He's limitless. He's eternal. The Bible describes sort of a mag, his magnitude as says that the earth would be like his footstool. And you're going to say, God, this doesn't fit logic, so it just can't happen. Hello? What can not my God do? Nothing's impossible for my God? But according to our response, oftentimes we say that he is impossible. George Mueller said, faith doesn't operate in the realm of the possible. There is no glory for God in that which is humanly possible. Faith begins where man's power ends. You say, I've got faith. Do you? I trust God. I have faith in God. Do you? How many times have you said no just because it doesn't fit your life and it's just not logical? I think we speak more lies about our faith and truth. The people of faith must embrace what seems impossible. That's why we have faith. Amen? Faith goes beyond what we don't see. Faith goes beyond what logic can't explain. James 2, 17, even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead being alone. So, And you say, I've got faith, but you've got no life to prove that you've got faith. Folks, your faith is really dead. But the world needs to see Christians that live by faith. So they may see the God of your faith. Do you understand how important it is that your faith be clearly where people can see it? You're trusting God. I think I have this quote on the screen. Uh, Charles Spurgeon said this. It's a little lengthy so I prov- provided it for you. He said, I would recommend you either believe God up to the hilt or, or else not to believe it all. Uh, believe this, this book of God, every letter of it or, or else reject it. There is no logical standing between the two. Be satisfied with nothing less than a faith that swims in the, in the deeps of divine revelation. A faith that paddles a, about the edge of the water is poor faith at best. It is little better than a dry land faith and is not good for much. Amen. Amen. So, how do we launch out with Jesus? What are we supposed to do? You launch out where He tells you to. I don't care how hot it is, how deep the water is, it doesn't matter. When He says, Hey, I need to go out that way, you say, Yes, Lord. Now, Peter didn't get there at the first saying yes. Peter was quick mouthed and said, This do not make sense. Look at verse 5 Simon answered and said to hey, him, Master, we've told all the night and have to take nothing. Now, stop there. That was his first response. Does that sound like you? Have you done that? I just, we, we've already done this. We've done this song and dance. I got the t shirt. It just ain't gonna happen. Okay? I will commend Peter that he transitioned right into being obedient, but look at the first response. Dear Christian, let me ask you should there ever be that response at all to God? No. Well, the reason this response come out of Peter's mouth is because he did not understand fully who Jesus was. And for a Christian to not respond in the yes every time to the Lord always goes back to your understanding of who Jesus is. Oh, I know He's my Savior. Yes, I'm sure you do. But what's your, what's your thought about His Lordship and His power and His grace and His providence and How much do you know about Jesus will definitely determine how you respond to your Savior. The greatest advice I can give you is this learn about your Savior, study Him. Study Him. And, folks, I just, you know, one thing that I see here about Jesus the difference. The circumstances. For the fishermen, they caught no fish. But they just had a request from an individual who knows where the fish are. Apparently they didn't. But he did. Can I tell you something? Circumstances never claim the authority over Christ. Never. Never. I don't care how stormy it is. I don't, care, I don't care how tall the waves are. I don't care wh- how, how many lightning strikes they are. I don't, I, I, it doesn't matter, dear friend. He guides the storms, right? He's the creator. He's sovereign. That's who he is. Circumstances never strip God's authority away from him. That's the Jesus who's saying, I need your boat, and I need you in it too. That's who it is. So he says, I will. I will, in spite of my exhaustion, well, I will. So nevertheless, at thy word, we'll go. Okay? Can I tell you something? One of, the, one of the big things the devil loves to do is make you think something different about God than actually who God really is. When God makes a request where he's leading you and he's guiding you and he wants to use you in a particular way, use your boat and you, uh, the devil oftentimes, even just your flesh will do this too, It's like, hey, he doesn't have your best at mind. You understand what God's doing to you. That's what the devil does, what your flesh does. You failed at the prime time to fish, and God's wanting you to go fish out here at the most illogical time. Oh, listen, he just wants to add to your failure. He just wants to push you further in the mud. And that's not who my God is. Right? He wants me to come to Him. That's not putting me down. That's lifting me up. And you find here that's not what Jesus is doing. And what I appreciate about Jesus, and you need to do this too, is that Jesus is so kind to accept Peter's obedience while it's wrapped fully in doubt. (laughs) Have you ever done that? Yes, Lord, but you're quivering all the way. I did that when I surrendered to preach. I surrendered, but I didn't. <laughs> you know, it's like I surrendered, but I had all—I had a head full of doubt. And Jesus was so patient with me. I'll help you with that doubt. What is it? What? What, what do they say? Yes, Lord, but help our unbelief. They believed, but they still have some unbelief. Jesus is so kind to you. Jesus is so patient with you. You put so many things above him and before him. You lose your way, in a sense, of who you're living for. And he's so patient. He was patient with Peter. He accepted his obedience even when it was wrapped in doubt. Why is is obedience so important? Think about that. Why is obedience so important? Obedience to God is when you experience God. And I... I, (laughs) I listened to part of a message from Adrian Rogers, and I had to say "ouch" when I heard it. You know, it was it, every message he preached was good. You know, great orator, great pulpiteer, one of my favorite preachers. And uh, um, he was uh, he was talking along this sense about experiencing God, and you know, he, he made the statement which I agree one hundred percent. He said, "This is where you learn of God, and obedience is where you experience God." Have you ever done that? you you actually followed through with God and, you, and you, you were obedient to Him and you experienced, hey, yes, He did know what He was talking about. Yes, He had the power to do it. Yes, He provided all that needed to be done to get this done for His glory. You experienced Him. Obedience. Dear friend, when you got saved, when you trusted Jesus, folks, reading your Bible is not experiencing God. It's learning Him, seeing Him on the pages of Inspired Scripture. But when you believed, obedience, the command to be saved, command to believe, it's a command of God to believe, repent, and believe. When you were obedient and putting your faith and trust in Jesus, catch what you did, you experienced the saving power of Jesus. As a Christian, it's no different. Obedience is the key, is the very way of which we experience God. Notice this. No, notice what the Bible says, and I'm hurrying. And when they did this, when they went out, then what happened? They were saying, Help! Help! We got too many fish! Right? They're scrambling. Here's these master fishermen don't know what to do with all these fish. It's a little embarrassing, wasn't it? They weren't prepared for the end result that would actually come to pass from, from Jesus. You know, just pause there for a second. You ever follow through and be obedient to God, but you had doubts that Christ would follow through? Timing's not right, money's not there. He says he'll do it, I'll follow it, but I just really just don't think it's gonna happen. And then you get caught off guard. Right? You're scrambling. We should go forward. Hey, I mean, you know, if, if, if Peter truly knew who Jesus was beforehand, he would have brought like three or four, you know, ships with him. Hey, we're expecting to fill all these things up. Hey, Ryan, let's get everybody's boat out. He didn't do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I'll take my boat out there, but this is going to be a dry run. All right? It was a dry run for them, but it was a plint. It was not a dry run with Christ. Only when they did this, when they done what he said, did they truly see Jesus. You find obedience to God is not just with you experiencing God. But notice what happened. When when they experienced what Jesus did, who were they hollering for? They need other people. They need their, their partners. Hey, Zebedee. Hey, James. John. Hey, bring your boats. Bring your nets. And here's the beautiful thing about this. When Peter was willing to experience Christ... Others did too. Others saw Jesus more clearly that very moment. The sad thing is, when you fail to trust God and be obedient to Him, you're robbing clarity from others of seeing Jesus. Do you want that on your record today that I was ashamed, so therefore I help others not see Jesus clearly today? Aren't you glad you saw Jesus clearly? Amen. And we should want others to see him clearly too. People will always notice the transformation. I'll say this these men may have been able in times past to fill their net, but Jesus filled their boat. Jesus filled their boat. And that moment you find their extended relationships, their partners. Needed to see that boat filling Jesus. Amen? God knows who your co workers are. He knows who your extended family is. He knows who your neighbors are. Do you not think He knows how He's, you not think He knows that he, he He wants to reach them with you? He knows who's around you, who you influence, who you're around every day. It makes sense God wants to use your boat and use you. All right? You may say, well, Brother Josh, I'm just afraid of the criticism. Can you imagine? Now think about this. I'm hurrying. I'm hurrying. I'm going out midday, going out in the deep, and Peter's like, oh, nobody sees me. Oh, there's Zebedee. I'm not here. They'll think I'm a moron, right? We're out here. I mean, just silliness. Man, he's my partner. He's costing me money. He's out there. He should be mining, washing his nets. What's he doing? I across a quote the other day talking about criticism. Criticism is nothing you can avoid easily. Or, excuse me, criticism is something you can avoid easily by saying nothing, doing nothing, and being nothing. So, folks, if you're going to do something for God, you might as well welcome the criticism because it's coming. Actually, that's a good sign you're doing something. Probably more than they are. So, but you come to this, this pinnacle moment, this last, this last point. Jesus sends them fishing. Now, remember, they brought their boats ashore because they caught nothing and they failed at fishing fish that would soon die. But now they're bringing their boats ashore one more time, not because they failed, but because they had hope. There's a different reason they brought their, shore, their, 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 their boats to shore, it's because now they have a greater reason to live. But can I point something out to you about Peter? I love Peter's repentance. He, when all this happened, he said, I thought a word will do it, and they did it. And then they come to shore, and Peter comes down and falls down at Jesus' feet. At his knees, he said, hey, I'm just, you, you need to get away from me, Jesus, because I'm a sinful man. I'm just unworthy to be around you and just grieving, right? Now, listen, don't, don't miss this. When do oftentimes you do that to Jesus? Usually when you've backslid, when you've failed, when you've done something you shouldn't or something like that. That wasn't Peter's case. So this is, this is an amazing thing what Peter did. Peter came when he saw the success. We don't do that usually. When we have success, we think ourselves. We're like, we get a little puffed up. It's about me. Look what I did. When Peter saw the success, he humbled himself. Come running to Jesus. I'm unworthy of this success. I'm unworthy. More and as we said, Peter was humble, not by the side of his failure, but by his outstanding success. This is a mark of real character. If success humbles you, then failure will build you up. Jesus was not this kind of last resort option now, we find, for Peter. We find Peter saw his divine authority, and that humbled him in faith and service. I'll ask her. Miss Arb if you'll come in just a moment Brother Eddie if you'll come We'll ask everyone to stand Every head bowed and every eye closed For just a moment Ever so quietly Heads bowed Eyes closed Jesus